This is Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator, bringing you the podcast series, How Did I Get Here? And today I'm very excited to be interviewing and talking with Katie Arvidson. Uh, Katie and I met through volleyball, which is kind of an odd career, I guess, place to be talking about. But um, I got to know Katie and found out about her story and wanted to bring her story. So thank you for joining me today, Katie. Thank you for having me. And Katie today is the manager in the healthcare industry. And, but her journey is one that goes from <laughs> playing Division I volleyball in college to then going to overseas and, and experiencing the European kind of world for a while, mm-hmm. and then coming back to the United States and finding her way. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that in your journey in a minute. But first, I always like to start with the icebreakers. Yeah, freaking on. So let's talk about where did you grow up, how many siblings where you were in the birth order, and how that influenced who you are. (laughs) Um, So I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I was second in birth order of two. So I have a sister who's eight years (laughs) old. So you're the youngest. I am the youngest. Um, And I'm about twice as big as she is, though. So... Um, I got the best of both worlds. I got to be the bully and, oh. and the bullier um, from my sister. So I, I, we were eight years apart, so we kind of grew up together from, my, from when I was younger. Um, and then I became kind of an only child when she graduated from high school and college. Oh. So I kind of got to see both sides of, <laughs> of having a sibling and not having a sibling. Yeah, you had one there for so yeah. many years and then not. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I got to learn from her, and uh, I think that shaped a lot of how I learned from the things around me. I think, and my sister would say this too, when you're the older child, you're the experiment child of like of the parents, parents figuring uh-huh. it out. Um, so she gives me a lot of flack for being the one, you know, they knew what they were doing eight years later. Um, you had it easy, right? I had it much easier, yeah. yeah. So, and I won't, I won't fight with that. <laughs> so did you have a little bit of that observer Oh yeah, mindset too oh, that you yeah. were watching her and yeah. 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 Did she play volleyball? She did not. She uh, she was kind of stronger, and I would say some opposite ways. She did theater, so she was a production and stage manager in New York City until just this year when she moved out to Denver. Um, but when she was in high school, she was a cheerleader. She was also in band, and then she worked in theater. So she covered everything else that so I So she did. was on the arts side, but yeah. then you come along and then you're part of the sports. Yeah. And those of you obviously who can't see, Katie, you're 6'1". 6'2". 6'2". Yeah, so volleyball and 6'2 go together. Now, if you, if you could see me, <laughs> you wouldn't naturally think that I'm a volleyball player, but I got some game. Yeah. <laughs> she does. <laughs> so, uh, okay, we've talked about sports. What other sports did you play? Um, I played basketball. That was my first sport and then broke my dad's heart when I quit in high school. Um, and then soccer, which was my dream. Um, and the only goal I ever scored was on myself as goalie after punting (laughs) it into the back of their sweepers legs. So it was a very short soccer career and unsuccessful. Um, and yeah, basketball tried tennis once and pretty much could only hit it behind me and over the fence. So those were, <laughs> well, thank God you found volleyball. Thank God. You yeah. Were, yeah. Yeah. You excel. You <laughs> yeah. excel there. That's so, right. uh, what about, uh, other languages or musical instruments? Um, I try to play guitar and be cool every once in a while. Um, we had a good family friend who actually, uh, passed away, um, who would, given me this guitar so it's really important to us and he was a really talented player um his name was tim so i try to pick that up every once in a while 
Um, my dad went to Biola, so he's a super talented musician. He plays piano and guitar. Like He's one of those guys who played cello. You can give him any you know, instrument, an instrument and, and he can just go with it. Um, and I was always really jealous of that. So I try guitar and then I took French for about eight years and I just downloaded Duolingo to try and start learning that again. Well, you know, it's funny. The person I interviewed yesterday mentioned Duolingo. And oh, that it's, it's a game-based it's, language it's awesome. tool. Yeah, it's oh, incredible. Wow. So, okay. And it's fun. They make it fun. I ended up, I don't purchase apps usually, but I purchased apps. You purchased oh, I did. So that speaks I'm competing volumes. with Mallory, a good friend, too. So I have <laughs> On to who can up. learn the language yeah, faster? Yeah. And French is the language you're both yeah. going for? She's okay. kicking my butt right now. Oh. So. Trying to catch up. We'll have to get through this so that you don't have time to do that. And then I hear you're a big reader. I am, yes, to this day. Since I was young, um, that was something my dad and mom, but dad especially, uh, was a sucker for us kids and would take us to Barnes & Noble and buy us anything we wanted. If you're in a bookstore, it's all good. Prior to the days of them having like toys and things at Barnes & Noble, when it was just (laughs) books, that's what we would get. And uh, yeah, to this day... Used bookstores, you know, I can't resist. Yeah, you have to go in. Have to so go what, in. Uh, what's your, is there a particular genre that you like or um, is there, are you all over the board? I'm kind of all over the board. Um, Les Mis is my favorite book of all time. And then Roald Dahl was really, I think, influential as a child. And now I read, you know, I collect his books as well now and then reread them. And, you know, I think those, those definitely shaped who I am if I if I look back and see how I empathize with people and yeah how I approach some things with goofiness and you know Roald Dahl definitely shaped hmm. shaped who I am very cool I'm, I'm not familiar like that. with that uh, Matilda BFG all, those are kind of no the BFG? sorry no really I'm, I'm, oh, I'll introduce you okay <laughs> I think so because I, I tend to be more on the um the business book, the yeah. self-awareness, you know, uh, I think one of my favorite was The Tipping Point. Yeah. Huge, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. um, Outliers, any of those that kind of look at the world and make sense of it in yeah. a kind of in a different way uh, yeah. just tend to light me up. So, yeah. See, I leaned on like David Sedaris. <laughs> like I went in the opposite, opposite. professional direction. <laughs> like that's, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great point he makes, you know. <laughs> Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, On the uh, fun meter, on the scale of one to five on the fun meter, where are you? Five being, you know, uber fun and one being, you know, you don't quite leave your couch. Yeah, so I would say it varies. Um, Which I guess it could be fun to be on your couch. Yeah. I've never been on your couch. It's a nice couch. Um, I, I joke that there's a nine to five me and a five to nine, and they overlap. Um... At work, I try to keep it lighthearted, but I'm probably like a two if I'm being realistic. Ah, Um, Five to nine me can go to a four and a five if, you know, if the setting is correct. (laughs) If there's some pit bull on and like, you know, okay, there's some fun people around. I think generally I'm an average, maybe three. So so we'll just average three, four. We'll average, yeah. (laughs) And how about on a a risk taking scale of one to five? This one's a hard hard one too. At work, I'm probably less risky, so two. Um, some days three, if I'm pushed, you know, or I really feel feel aggressive about an idea or something that should work and I believe will work. Um, but then, you know, big life decisions, 
I will be, be a five out of the blue. You know, we bought our house really quickly. I bought a car without seeing it from another state. Uh, Sam and I got married on a lunch break. Oh, okay. Yeah, the courthouse downtown and then came back to work. Like, so I, I am a risk taker, yeah. I would say. And I don't realize it until I look back at life and go, oh, yeah, I've made some really big decisions on a whim. Yeah. Um, I try not to do that professionally, <laughs> just with my own life. I try not to impact others. But yeah, you do like for yourself. You're like, it, this right. is just me. Right. Yeah. If it's really just my wrong. life, like yeah. we're fine. I'll blame myself later. <laughs> I know who did this. But if it's at work, <laughs> if it's at work, yeah, too. I try to keep it less risk. You wouldn't make the decision at lunch. You'd wait till end of day. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More information, yeah. more data. So. <laughs> well, cool. Well, that gives us a little insight into Katie. Yeah. So let's talk about your current job. So you're a manager in the healthcare. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what that is, and then we'll talk about how you got there. Yeah. Um, So I manage a group of uh, nine analysts here in the Denver metro area that supports our HCA Health One hospitals. Um, So um, they basically take out, you know, any new physicians or physicians that are are leaving our hospitals. They do the day-to-day support, they help onboard, um, and I build the structure around that team. So as we get projects from our corporate office, as we get um, pushes and initiatives from our divisions or those hospitals, our team takes that information and makes it happen. So if we're given a goal of, of getting an application live and we need a certain number of you know, features turned on and we need to educate the providers on that. That's what I take care of on a day-to-day. So do you associate more with being in the technology space or being in the healthcare space? Um, Or is it both? It's really, it's truly a blend of both. Um, And I would say a a huge, huge piece of it is customer service. I mean, we are taking um, applications that may come from a vendor that's outside of our company or maybe company grown. And we become not only the educational piece, but hey, this isn't working, how do you make it work? Um, and this team is is pretty entrenched in that work as well. Whether it's a workflow, whether it's a technical piece, like you were mentioning, um, we are in charge of fixing that, depending on exactly what's going on. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's truly a blend. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go way back when then, let's go back mm-hmm. to high school, maybe even junior high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we can figure out how did I get here? Yeah. Uh, and did you, did you want to be in technology? Did you want to be in healthcare? I mean, when when you were younger, what did you yeah. want to be when you grew up? Yeah. Neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, not even a blip on a radar of what could be one day. Um, yeah. I kind of I kind of spanned all over the place. I initially wanted to be a professional athlete, as I think a lot of a lot of young people do that are in athletics. Um, I wanted to be a firefighter. I wanted to be a musician, an artist. Um, as I kind of got into high school and narrowed those things down going to college, it really uh, kind of narrowed down to either a professional athlete or um, a lawyer. How do I, oh, how do I okay. help people around me? Um, you know, that kind of save the world like mm-hmm. complex that you get of here's what's important. And I think if I do this right, I can really go you know, impact this huge scale, which is great. And, and I still believe in, um, and then as I set down a path and I think as you become an adult, you see it, you still have those aspirations, but they narrow a little bit and you zone in on, well, here's how I can help realistically and still live a good life. Yeah. Um, 
But or sometimes they broaden, right? And true. all of a sudden you're like, wow, I didn't even know these other things existed right. that are of more interest. Yeah. So did you get a volleyball scholarship? Did that help you choose uh, which college or how did you pick your college? I did, I did. So my choice, um, this is where my sister would complain. So my sister went to Middle Tennessee <laughs> State University. Um, about four, Then it was 45 minutes from our house. And it's a great school. I yeah. mean, it's grown like crazy. Their volleyball program is incredible. Um, and, and my parents kind of laid it out in front of me. You know, my worst fear was to stay in state. I wanted to go to a beach. I wanted to go to Europe. I didn't care. I just wanted to get out of, out of Tennessee <laughs> and travel and, and be my, you know, see what I could do. So I, uh, my parents gave me an ultimatum. You can go to MTSU or you have to get a full ride somewhere. And so my last four years, you know, my four years in high school were totally focused on I got to get this full I gotta ride. I got to get a full ride. Got to get the full <laughs> ride. I did a resume. I had, you know, back then there weren't videos for high school volleyball players that and companies do. And probably coaches. And uh, yeah. now they have whole programs on how to help you get a full ride. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's Instagram accounts I've seen where parents are, you know, videoing the girls and they're tagging them on Instagram. And ours was, you know, I think I may have had a clip from one practice where my coach <laughs> stayed for an hour and my mom and my dad stayed and... You know, that's what I mailed out to these coaches. Um, And I got an opportunity at Florida Atlantic University and went there for four years and loved it. And was it on the beach or was it just in Florida? It's it's on the it's close to the beach. I believe FAU is like second behind Pepperdine in in proximity to the beach. Oh, wow. It's way up there. Yeah. So I had a bike. That was cool. My dad got me a townie, which is like... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was sweet. I had the best bike on campus, and I would bike to the beach and then bike to practice and home. It was great. Well, and so how was playing volleyball? So it, did that further than your aspirations to maybe being a professional athlete? Going, okay, now I'm in college, yeah. and I got a full-ride scholarship, so this is a big deal. Yeah, I mean, we... Um, you know, I was lucky. My parents... I think always taught me to be extremely grateful and realize how much work goes into, you know, dreams like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad, I remember my dad walking me out on the UT basketball court when Pat Summit was the coach. So we watched a game and then sat in the middle of the court and like I stood on the the UT sign and, uh, and it was a special moment. And like, I think my dad probably teared up. I remember it was a big moment with him and, you know, he would talk to me about if you want this and if you want this feeling, you have to work harder than everyone else. Um, and so I think, yeah, it, it furthered it, but we it also opened my eyes that maybe that wasn't going to happen for me. Mm. Um, I had a great coach, so we actually, he would fly us every year if we wanted to come try out for the Olympic team. He would allow us to fly with him to Colorado Springs. He would get us a hotel or we'd stay with one of the parents and we would do the Olympic tryouts. So I wow. got to see, like, we tried out with um, Jenny Lang Ping and Cynthia Barboza was on the team at that time. And she was a great player I used to see in volleyball magazines. Um, so it was cool. I mean, it was great experience, but also eye-opening to a college, you know, you think you're great because you're at a yeah. D1, D1 school. And then you walk into that gym and you see these women that are doing, I mean, they're just insanely good. You know, and they're just joking around. That's not even them with their fire, you know? Yeah. So I think that also helped kind of show me this is the sacrifice and how how good I would have to get. And, you know, I actually started to see, okay, that's not going to happen. 
for me, yeah. probably. Well, now, and then <laughs> there's, the, there's the whole uh, injury aspect of it. Did you have any right. injuries, or were you pretty, luckily, knock on wood, injury-free yeah. during that college time? I was relatively injury-free. Um, I, have, I have a bad back, and I, now my knees are feeling the effects yeah. of, I think, yeah, four years of yeah. Yeah, just pounding as a middle. Um, but, yeah, I had... I, think I hurt my ankle once I threw up my back but relative to you know other girls I saw on the football team and stuff like that I was yeah I had a really good career wow great yeah and then what did you pick for your major then so you're you've got this full ride but you now you have to pick I mean yeah. so you, were you were you thinking pre-law at that point or um or, so do you have to just get a bachelor's then yeah pre-law yeah so so I kind of I initially wanted to actually go into photography and then found out I had interned in Nashville when I was in high school um, with a commercial photographer because that's where if you really want to be a photographer you have to make money and it's not in weddings and you know I kind of walked through that path in high school um, and I wanted to get a realistic okay if I if I had to base my life on photography and do commercial what is that life like yeah you think you think you know, but until oh, you yeah. really spend time with someone. Oh, yeah. and it that was a huge eye opener. Between I looked at the music industry as well. Um, being right being, there in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, being in Nashville, a ton of a ton of friends, fathers and mothers worked in the music industry, including my dad. Um, so I I shadowed an engineer for a bit. Um, but yeah, the photography thing. Once you get into college and the classes are so specific, that was never going to work out with with athletics. Um, there wasn't enough flexibility. So it was kind of business or communications. And then having an interest in law, I went into communications. Mm, okay. So I took that path. All right. And then you graduated and now you're standing on the, <laughs> on the, on the precipice of adulthood going, now what? That's right. Still feeling like a kid at yeah. 32. Yeah. Yeah. Now what? <laughs> what am I going to do when I grow up? <laughs> So what was that first job out of college then? Um, so that was a little bit crazy. My first job out of college technically was at uh, Viking Cooking School in Franklin. Um, I had moved back home and was working, um, had kind of found near the end of college a girl in the Czech Republic. And again, I wanted to get out and travel um, that I wanted to replace as an au pair. So I had a mutual friend she said, you know, you can go be a nanny in Europe. If you just want to get to Europe, go be an au pair. Oh. Um, you get to travel. You get to really embed yourself in the culture, learn the language potentially. Um, so I moved back home to save money. And thanks, parents. <laughs> um, and I worked at a Viking cooking school and store at the factory in Franklin. Ah, So just found whatever job was like. Basically, local or con- you yeah. know that you could get yeah. right to save money to yeah pile up some money and then go yeah. so and then did you get to be an au pair and I so I did I worked up um, and got my work visa through the embassy in D.C. Um, and about two weeks before I was I was heading over there so I had quit my job at Viking um, I contacted this family who was great at getting back to me super quickly. And I kind of said, hey, I finally got my visa in the mail because it was, you know, there's no ETA. You just get it after oh, a couple so, months. Okay, so, so we had no clue for the timeline. Um, yeah, so I get it. I'm contacting the family and they're just non-responsive for the first time. And I just kind of, you know, maybe they're not getting my emails. Maybe it's a fluke. I reached out by phone. Um, so eventually I just went ahead, 
booked my flight and, and said, it's fine. I've quit my job. You know, I'll just get a hold of him. My flight's in about two weeks. So I get a call from the mother of the family and they had had, I still to this day, I don't know exactly what the circumstances were, but um, the father had gotten really sick and they were going to have to move, I believe, to Switzerland to, for his treatment. Um, and that was all I kind of ever heard. And so she had lined up an option pretty quickly of, you know, they'll, they would have reimbursed me for the flight and I could stay home or I could come over and work for a family friend of theirs that she knew or he knew through work somehow. Um, and at that point I was out of a job and, and had spent a bunch of money on the visa and had the visa in my hand. And I said, well, sure, let's yeah, go. Cause you still want to go. Right? I still want to go. Like, yeah. I, I doesn't matter bragging. which family. Yeah. Doesn't matter which family. I'm doing this. Yeah, right? I've been telling people I'm going. Now I gotta go. <laughs> Can't just sit here now. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So that was uh, that's what took me initially over then to the Czech Republic as an au pair, and oh. turned into another adventure. Yeah. Well, how did that go then? Yeah. So. And did you have any experience as a nanny? Uh, absolutely. I babysat. I mean, that was I did babysit for my college coach all four years. You know, they were actually from, um, they were Czech as well. They were from the Czech Republic. I can't remember which city. Um, so they had taught me some basic, basic language <laughs> stuff. Uh, didn't really prepare me for what I was going to find. But um, it, it became a good story in my life and something I always kind of encourage people in their 20s now. If, if you know, especially, I mean, anyone who comes out of college and wants to go get a job and I just say, don't do it. Listen to this. Listen to how messed up life can get. And it's still so great. So uh, that's one thing I always share with people. But I got over to the Czech Republic. Um, My my situation that I had kind of signed up for was like a seven-year-old teaching English every week. I make a hundred euros a week. I work very clear hours. And then on the weekends, I'm given time to travel. And my duties would be just the scope of the child and not the household kind of stuff. Yeah. So when I got over there to work for this new family who I didn't really know at all, it was a it was a newborn. Um, so no. Okay, that's very different. Very different. No English in the family. Um, very both very busy. Both both parents uh, worked and had separate businesses. So. I was left at home for long hours, uh, 12, you know, 12, 13 hours with the newborn. Um, it was, it was a little bit rough. I was staying in the same room and then the room right next to him. So wasn't really sleeping and then I wasn't getting paid. So the father would come home eight or nine on a Friday night and say, Oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot cash. And so I would, you know, the first few weeks I headed up to the bedroom and just kind of sat there like, well, I guess, I guess I'm not going anywhere. Well, yeah, if you have no money, you're yeah. not going anywhere. I guess I'm working tomorrow and Sunday. Yeah. Um, and eventually I got moved out. I kind of reached out to the first family and said, hey, here's what's going on. I have some concerns. And they actually worked out a cabin of, of someone else in their family across the town. Um, and then I don't know what their communication was with the family I was working for, but so I would at least on Friday nights kind of go over to this cabin. Have your space at least. Have space and like finally started sleeping. So that was after three to four weeks um, and then still And you're working. how old at this point? You're 22? Oh, geez. Yeah, 20, 21 or 22. Wow. Yeah. So I uh, wasn't making enough money though and ended up um, going into town, the Prague Central, 
and getting a job for, um, I don't know if I should say his name. <laughs> He's in probably, in, you need some protection, but yeah. short, long story short, I worked illegally for a guy in the center of Prague as a ghost tour uh, guide. <laughs> a ghost? Like, yeah. A ghost tour, meaning Le- legit ghost tour. So I would, I would au pair in the day, I would catch a train to Prague Center, it took me about 45 minutes, and I would go pick up an umbrella, a cloak, and a lantern. I would go to the Old Town Square, stand under the really cool astrological clock the Old Town, in the Old Town Square, and I would try to get people to purchase ghost tour tickets. And I would do, I think there was like a 9 p.m. tour and an 11 p.m. tour. Um, so I would zip people around and then I would run across town and try to catch the last train back to (laughs) the town I lived in, um, and ended up missing the train quite a few times. Um, not because I could, I wasn't there on time, but what I didn't know back then was there, the town I lived in was called Dobshihovice and I didn't know how to pronounce it. So I would run up to the ticket counter and they only had one guy working at night that late. And I would say, I need a ticket back to Dobshihovice. And he would go, huh? And I was like, Dobshihovice? And he'd hand me a map and like the train would just, you know, Leave. four minutes later oh, it would no. be gone. So eventually if I had a map, I could kind of point where I needed. They would try to tell me how to pronounce it, but I couldn't even get the sound. Well, you and pronounce I would, two different things. I don't even know what, yeah. the, the, there was a difference yeah. between the two. Yeah, it just doesn't exist in English. But I would sleep at the train station, which was a little secluded and weird, and then get home at, I think the first train came back around 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. I'd run up to my cabin, get a couple hours of sleep in the pitch dark, and then head back to be an au pair the next day. So, And you're encouraging young people to do this? I, yes. If anyone, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Like, I had, I don't know, I think... For me, what makes us good in business, I mean, it all, everything I've gone through, I can apply to what I go through today, where you just have to, you know, grind through it and then laugh about it, Um, whether it's to share it with others, to make them, you know, we are all human and we're going to get through this together. And if we've survived worse, we can do this. All of those moments. I mean, I remember... There have been days in business in the last two years where I've thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And then I thought back and laughed. I would run up to the cabin in the pitch dark and I would trip and fall in this dirt road. I was, I was super scared, you know, 21 year old girl, like careening up this hill. And I remember, uh, the family said the next morning, Hey, were you running at like 5am this morning up to the cabin? And I said, yeah. How, how did you know? They didn't know I had the second job. And they said, well, one of the neighbors called concerned because he saw the American girl running and fall. And I was like, oh, and he told the whole village. Oh, so now everybody the knows. Village. <laughs> but in that moment, I was super embarrassed. But then I thought, hey, at least there's someone else up that hill watching for me. Yeah. You know, if, if I had like, not gotten up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Someone's there. So I joke, but it's a good parallel. Like even in those moments of darkness and where you feel most alone there's probably someone laughing at you and watching you okay. and it's going to be okay okay that's a good message <laughs> i tried to tie it back <laughs> tie it back in yeah. your career yeah. <laughs> so how long did you stay in this environment and what? i i was supposed to be there for 10 months i lasted about uh three and a half three and a half or four 
and admire your perseverance for that long. Holy I wasn't cow. so perseverant, but yeah, I, I went as long as I could. <laughs> yeah, and then now money. you're probably out of money. How, well, yeah. and how do you get home if you don't have any money? Yeah, so I I got down to the last little bit of my savings. I'd gotten a couple of a couple of paychecks from the family, um, and finally you know, had the conversation, like, I need to walk away from this. Mm -hmm. Um, And they ended up paying me at the very, very end, some of what they owed, not all, but some of what they owed. And that allowed me to buy a plane ticket almost home. So my sister was in New York City at the time. um, And I could afford a ticket to New York City. So I just said, Hey, do you care if I stop for a bit and check out New York? And, you know, Thanks to my sister, I got to sit and I lived with her for three, three and a half, four months again in New York City and had a whole another adventure in my life of um, trying to find a job in 2009 in New York was not Oh, not easy. I, yeah. I did, you know, thanks for pointing out the timing of that. Cause yeah, yeah you're in that 2009, 10, 11 yeah. era is just, yeah. So yeah. It was a different, different timing. Yeah. And wow. that. There was a last And you had a communications degree, so then that that's very general and you think, Oh, I can apply to so many places and yet it's so general that people are like, Well Right. Yeah. It's the killer, it's the joke, um, I would say that millennials make of any job you apply for says you need four to five years of experience. And that was so true in two thousand nine. I mean I couldn't tell you everything I applied for. Eventually I started applying for things I definitely wasn't qualified for because the things I was qualified for you wouldn't even get a, a, you know, bite on the hook. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. I had a lot of friends go back at that time to go get their master's because of the job market. Um, and looking back, that's something I'm happy that I grinded through. Number one, just because I work will be there somewhere. And I, I believe that, especially when you're young. It's out there. You'll find it. It will find you. Um but I, was, I am happy that I chose not to go back to school at that point and just chose to kind of let's see what's out here and keep, keep grinding at yeah. what I can Because you could go to school again and then you're in that same boat still. Exactly. And, but you've got, you know, granted you have more education, but you also have more debt because you, you didn't have the full right for the master's, right? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where that was would, that going to come from? Exactly. Yeah, and not from mom and dad. That would have been sitting on my shoulders for... I think it's different now. I think... Um, there, I think most people just go ahead and get their master's now, but at that time, it it really was a well. What do I do? Yeah, you know, it, it was a different decision back then. And I, looking back, I'm glad I chose what I did. Okay. So then, where, what, how did how did healthcare and technology come to play then? Yeah, because you seem very far from that right yeah. now. Yeah, as we're listening to you be in New York City. <laughs> yeah, and I was. Um, so I was in New York, like I was saying for. Probably the two months, and I had a good friend, his name's still a mentor, his name's Doug Turner, um, and he was working at LifePoint Hospitals um, out in Brentwood, Tennessee, so just south of Nashville. Um, And he called, he needed a team to go do electronic health record implementations across the U.S. So LifePoint has uh, focuses in rural healthcare centers, um, and they needed to take their ambulatory clinics live on this EHR software, but he needed young people or people willing to travel for... <laughs> to be on the road. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, uh, probably if you calculate the hours out below minimum wage. Um, but yeah, he he employed us, brought us in to, to kind of get those hospitals and those clinics live. Um, but he kept calling and I kept saying no, you know, I 
healthcare, IT, that's not, that's not for me. Yeah. Well, and how um, did you know him that he would be calling you to say, hey, I think yeah. you should come do this? He was a friend of ours through volleyball. So he and he, his daughter and I were really close friends growing up on our travel uh, volleyball okay. team. And he's, you know, he so was he close was more established in his career. Oh yeah. And, but yeah. looking at, hey, here's a young person. Can I help them kind yeah. of hand forward, hand yeah. back thing? And, exactly. Okay. And at the time, I was totally ungrateful and just kept and that's shunning not for him. Me. I'm exactly. Not do that. And exactly. Um, and so then I started getting hungry. Like I wasn't finding a job in New York. I was working for a um, just a firm that would kind of send us out on small contract jobs. And uh, he called, and I said no. And then I I was getting hungry though, so I called my dad. Um, and I'll never forget that conversation with my, my father. He, uh, I was kind of waffling back and forth. I really don't want to do this. I know I need a job. Um, and this, you know, my dad who supported every dream I ever had and walked me out onto that basketball court said, you know, point blank, he goes, you know, little girl, all your wishes and dreams, they're just not going to come true always. And he kind of ended right there. Big pause. Big pause. And I I was livid. I was so mad. I couldn't believe he'd said it. And, and in all honesty, I can't remember how I responded to him um, in that moment. But uh, we got off the phone and I was upset for a few days. And walking around the city, it finally hit me of, you know what? Yeah, I need to pay my dues. And my parents worked tirelessly to provide for my sister and I and give me an opportunity to go play volleyball and do these things that you don't appreciate when you're a kid. No, you don't. You know, I mean, even if you think you do, you don't. Um, so I ended up calling Doug back and saying, okay, I'll start, you know, when do you need me basically? Um, and, and Doug was great. He had a great sense of humor. He made, he really made that company you know, thrive for our teams and, and created an environment um, along with the consulting group we worked with. This is another mentor, um, Amy uh, from Cumberland Consulting Group. Just some of the greatest people I've ever worked with to this day. And we traveled. It was hard work. It was long weeks. And I've never had more fun. Um, so, and that was Doug. That was a, a environment that Doug fostered professionally and personally and took time out to build and you know sometimes we thought he was crazy and now looking back I I think that was all part of his plan and how he led teams and Mm -hmm. made the teams that he did Mm -hmm. so it was really powerful for me and I was very lucky to enter the professional world with with a guy like that yeah a role model that you respect but that you're also having fun with I mean because there's a lot of times we have role models and that's that's the role model of what not to do right oh yeah and this is the role model of what to do yeah so very early in your career and he was recruiting you yeah (laughs) and wow that's yeah that's a very fortunate space to be in yeah he was incredible um I learned a lot of lessons like you were saying what to do what not to do um I you know part of what I do today in my day-to-day job was lessons I learned at LifePoint. Um, I made a really big mistake with a contract pretty early on. We had a wrong date and a contract and I kind of head down. I had realized it. I was on a call. I noticed the date was wrong. We'd already signed it. We'd submitted it. We were working towards a completely different date on our side. And I'll never forget, I walked into Doug's office and I'm pretty sure it was the one time he was really mad at me. But in that moment, you know, he just turned and he said, 
we're going to make this okay. He was like, this is a very big, you know, learning, learning <laughs> for you, a big teachable moment, moment in your first kind of mess up in a big corporate environment. Um, but even in a moment like that, you know, I've had analysts come to me now and my biggest kind of what I ask for from them is just admit those mistakes and it's 10 times better than your boss finding out or somebody finding out, you know, yeah. down the road even Oh, yeah, I'd much rather hear on. from the person than oh, yeah. in a meeting yeah. in a different way or hear from the customer or from the client. Yeah, right. that would be the worst way to hear something. And, right. Because, you know, if you can take it to the, the client, <laughs> yeah. it has a whole different perspective of, yeah. hey, we, we caught something here even though we're not yeah. happy that it happened. Yeah. But it's a little bit easier to swallow that. Yeah. And that's how Doug, I mean, part of a big mentor moments, that was one of them for me that I try to take into today. You know, no one can mess things up. It's very hard to mess things up so bad. And as a manager and as a leader, you know, your job and our job is to go, okay, how do we learn from this and how do you foster um, the care you were given, you know, coming into a career and it's scary and it's overwhelming and, you know, you don't know what you don't know yet. Um, who to trust and what to trust and what the expectations are sitting on you. And so I try to approach a lot of things back to that moment, how Doug, how Doug treated me and yeah. made it okay. Um, he went and negotiated the contract. Actually, it was with a very nice hotel in downtown Nashville. And he negotiated the $10,000 fee that we were supposed to pay after that and allowed, um, got them to allow us to use credits basically for the rooms so we moved the consulting group from like a Hampton Inn to this super nice place. Oh, geez. So overnight, the, you know, Cumberland <laughs> comes back and all of them were like high-fiving me like, thanks for messing up the contract. Um, and I, I became their favorite LifePoint employee really fast. <laughs> but also it became very public. What yeah. Oh, yeah, too. for sure. Also yeah. came out, Don't so. let Katie do any contracts, but she's awesome. Yeah. Like, go say, go thank her. <laughs> So you, you find yourself in a career that you hadn't really been a dream and a passion. Um, now you're working in that. So are, do you feel like you're in your sweet spot now then? Or what? Uh, yeah. what's kind of going on for you? I mean, I think I, yes, in the sense that I think now in my 30s, um, I'm able to see, okay, this is what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at and I need to work on. And I try to soften those things. You know, I'm impatient. That's a weakness. I'm not patient with others, whether it's someone I work for or someone who works for me. And so I really work on that. You know, that's my nine, my nine to five. I'm mm -hmm. very patient. My five to nine, I still run, <laughs> run wild. Um, and I'm very impatient, but, um, I feel like I am hitting a stride in my thirties of, I know what I do well when I walk in the door and that's, I check my emotions um, I create really good, you know, standard operating procedures for teams and large teams. Um, I know that I take care of people. I mean, that's feedback I get. And if I can leave the door every day and know that nine employees are happier because I'm here and because I'm shielding them from the bad and encouraging, you know, how they work and that they get to work in an environment that could be really hard and making it fun, that is most of what I, I care about, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I'm a firm believer in that if you treat people right and Doug taught me this and Amy taught me this, um, Amy with Cumberland, she would put herself in the firing line before anyone else. I mean, it could blatantly be someone else's fault. And Amy would step up and say, this is my team. We're all together. 
And so she was a real powerhouse of like, oh my gosh, yes. Like I, that is a manager, I don't care who you are. That's part of your role is you have to believe in your people. And every step of the way that I've done that, I've never had an issue. And so I think that's, that's a stride I've hit so far in my 30s. Um, and we're talking still early 30s, right? Early, yeah. Super yeah. early 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Is it super early? It yeah, feels, I think that's I super. I feel like it's getting rocky, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've hit that stride and I have that confidence, um, but still have a lot to learn and do, yeah. obviously. Well, yeah, I think any time when you're in leadership, it's a, it's a never-ending uh, learning Opportunity. I mean, every day is different. Yeah. Well, and then also you have a side hustle. I do. I do. (laughs) Yeah. That, um, so when I look at what's your real dream job, then Mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Yeah. So I have, I have kind of two phases of a dream job. Um, my side business is called Mint Spruce Professional Organizing. So I started that, um, LLC a couple years ago. So I have always organized from the time, if I again look back, I, you know, healthcare and IT were nowhere visible in my past. Um, organizing was. So I always enjoyed decorating, organizing. Um, my best friend, Ashley Balding. Um, a different Ashley. A different Ashley is in, uh, is in Nashville. And I used to, when we were growing up, she was, you know, where my house was a little more um, like kind of sterile in the sense that like we couldn't eat on certain couches or never go in this dining room. Ashley's the formal. Exactly. The the formal that we Mm -hmm. never, you know, grandma got to sit in those chairs and that was it. Um, But Ashley's home was warm and crowded and, and, you know, it was, it was awesome. It was kind of like lemony snicket feel, you know, (laughs) and Ashley would let me, she'd get super mad and let me organize her closet and keep any change I found. So, and it wasn't about the change. It was just like, the before and after of the closet, you know, she'd be sleeping till noon and I would get up at like 6am and I'd be like, Oh my gosh, look what I did to your room. And it would just be pristine, you know, and you're so it. proud of yourself. Oh, like, so... This is awesome. And she's like, yeah. where is my stuff? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that like, I always had that, you know, if we in college, if we moved apartments, I was the house mom. I had everything set up within 24 hours when Sam <laughs> and I have moved apartments and he, you know, He'll sit the boxes down and he's like, okay, let's rest. I'm just buzzing around till everything's kind of in its place. Because so. there's a place for everything? Exactly. Everything's yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to look a certain way, but there is a place, I believe. Yeah. So you started Mint Spruce. I did. Mm-hmm. And how's that going? And- it's, it's great. That's been a whole other kind of business adventure and something I think you, you definitely miss when you're you know working for a corporation that has all of those teams supporting you and... Yeah, you're not doing sales and marketing oh. and well, yeah. you're in leadership you're doing human resources. And, right. You have but, yeah. some of it, but nowhere near the scale. Um, so yeah, it was pretty intimidating, but I really felt like, you know, it, it's a passion and I'm not a person that can sit by and just kind of numb to what's going on in my head and my heart. And so that that really kept calling and finally kind of realizing, you know, I'm in a financial situation where I can't afford to start a business. Professional organizing is um, is relatively inexpensive. You know, it's a business, a service. So you really just, you get your, your LLC. Colorado has such good re- resources to start a business here. Um, your insurance and then minimal supplies as an organizer and you're set. And mm-hmm. now it's, all right, how do I network and how do I... Um, 
you know, kind of hustle for that business and, and build the things. And that's what I enjoy. I mean, I actually enjoy building websites and logos. I don't want to do it full time, but I enjoy doing that for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a business owner, outside of my regular nine to five, now I can be creative, which I don't really get to do during the day. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of grown. I, I completed my master's last year. Um, and so my focus was my master's and I promised myself, you know, Hey, 2019 in the fall, I'm going to really start picking up my business again. Um, and I've gotten the opportunity to, so it's been great. I work and focus on, um, both business and residential clients right now. Um, I think as years go by, I'll probably fine tune kind of what I specialize in, Mm -hmm. um, and I, there's a great National Association of Professional Organizers, NAPO, um, is, is awesome. And there's a great chapter here in Denver and in Colorado um, that I get to be a part of. And it's just a bunch of awesome business owners, which you wouldn't think of, that kind of compete against one another, but also um, welcome with open arms and, and train each other. And it's kind of fascinating, the world and kind of, of professional. share best practices. Yeah. And- well, and as you said, you'll find your niche, yeah. and then, then uh, when you are presented with something outside your niche, you need to have a partner that say, hey, you know, I'm going to do residential or business, and this person's going to do the other, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you. Well, very <laughs> cool. Well, I certainly wish you the best on that. Thank so um, I could sit and talk with you all evening, obviously, but we do need to probably have an ending or a wrap-up of yeah. this. So as we look back... Um, you know, you can't really see patterns sometimes until you look back. When you look back on your life and your journey so far, I love that you already shared this part about in your 20s, just go for it and have fun because there will all be, always be a job there. Yeah. What else would you share or what else would you have liked to have heard, you know, when you were in that phase? I mean, it sounds like you were kind of fearless. Yeah. Uh, other people <laughs> I don't think are as fearless. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me... I don't, I was so lucky. I don't know that there's, there's stuff I didn't hear at the right time. If I look back, I had people encouraging me and telling me, you know, what you just kind of mentioned, like go for it. Um, to some extent, I think what my dad said and when he said it, yeah, I needed to hear. Um, so it was the, it was the right words at the right time. It, it, a year before that may not have worked. Right. right. Oh, a year before that, I think I would have been no, I still have more to do and I still have a, I need to at least see what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, so I was really lucky. I think the, the biggest thing um, career wise, you know, and, and again, I had Doug Turner as a mentor and, and he said a lot of what I needed to hear as well is just, you're going to make mistakes. Um, if you treat people right that are next to you, above you, below you, opportunities are going to present themselves and and I feel like sometimes because of you know personally I'm impatient but also we live in a society and a culture where oh yeah everything's so instantaneous Mm -hmm. right so I mean even in 2009 when I graduated college we all expected jobs it was okay We've so put in our dues. the economy's tank. You know, I'm, I'm a college graduate. Here I am. Right. I'm ready. And I'm invincible. And I almost, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why I tell young people now, I meet a lot of volleyball players or high schoolers that say, I don't know if I want to play volleyball or sports in college. And I just turn, you're crazy. Go play. If you can play, go play. 
everything. There was a short period in, in high school when I thought of not doing college athletics because I was scared. I was scared that I wouldn't get to have a fun life in college and get the experience that we saw in, you know, all those movies. Oh, yeah. Because um, you would be on the court and practicing and training yeah. and schoolwork. And, right. Yeah. Um, totally untrue. And I think um, college sports, any sports for that matter, I don't care if you're on a club team, is so invaluable and, and parallel so well to the business side of what I've seen at every stage of my, my career, which is you're going to be asked to do things that you don't want to do, that you don't think are possible, and you have to put on the uniform of wherever you are and listen to the coach and boss, and they don't want your excuses. They just want you to go out and do it. And that's, you know, so I, I guess in that moment of doubt, I wish people had pushed me a little more to, like, not even consider skipping college sports, and I didn't, so I was lucky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my parents tried to like teeter and be okay. I think my dad was in shock over the basketball. But I remember they never really said, oh, you'll play sports. And I told Sam, my husband, I said, if our kid ever said, I'm not going to play sports, I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. You're going to play sports. <laughs> you're playing sports. You're going to be on a team? Yep. And you're yep. going to like it. No questions. <laughs> yeah. But I was very lucky. I had, I had, you know, everything was kind of said to me, I feel, at the right time. Yeah. So you had like a lot of good timing. Uh, you were open to it, though, yeah. but you could also kind of see maybe there was a longer-term benefit to right. doing that. So. Right. And I think I was just, I was hungry. <laughs> I'd been eating peanut butter and jelly and tuna for like, you know, four months. So. It wasn't top ramen? <laughs> yeah. No. no. I went through a phase of uh, Eggo waffles at one point. Oh, man. And I'm like, I can't eat this for like yeah. three meals a day or for right, dinner every night. But that's yeah. a different story. So, yeah. well, Katie, thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, when I first uh, was, you know, setting up this interview with you, I kept thinking, well, she's, a, she's established in her career. But no, she's just starting out her career. So you're right at that age of, um, I, I'm so excited about this because I think someone who is, you know, junior, senior in college can really relate to you because this just happened for you. I think it's harder for that person who's in their... 40s and 50s, you know, to, you know, share that same story, but it is kind of still that, what do you do in your 20s? Then there's the 30s. And yeah, so I'm excited to see where you go next. I'm excited for you and your business. And um, on that note, I think we'll wrap up and listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast and this interview, please continue to subscribe, set your notifications so that you get the alerts as these new interviews come out. And please go to my website, lifestorycurator.com. And leave us some feedback. If you have questions for Katie, I'll post your website out there too so they can find you. If you need some organization help, she's the one. (laughs) And then also, if you have other questions for maybe future interviews, post those and uh, I'll see if I can incorporate them in. So thank you again, Katie. Thank you so much, Kathy.